So I always enjoy kind of reading through the scriptures that they have picked out for each Sunday. I don't know about you, but um, I grew up in a church that didn't do lectionary readings. You know, you, you never really knew what was coming up next week. Um, you know, maybe it was a church that did sermon series where the pastor picks kind of a theme for four to six or in one case, in my experience, 40 some weeks. Um, you know, like, and so you end up with this, this kind of this pattern where, you know, you, you kind of expect that you're hearing from someone. What I love about preaching from the lectionary personally is that I don't pick what we're talking about. Um, so that I don't have to have that pressure where I'm like, okay, I have to somehow come up with something that is going to speak to every single person in the room, and it, the pressure is on me, and I have to pick passages. I have the, the pleasure, instead, of reading through these scriptures and saying, okay, what is, what is God teaching, teaching me? And then I get to come and share that with you. And so I, I don't know about you, but every once in a while that just hits me all over again, that that is just a really kind of a comfortable communal kind of thing. You know, so I, I hope you don't ever get the impression that I'm preaching at you or, you know, like banging on the pulpit and screaming and, you know, fire and brimstone things. Um, although some people are into that. Um, <laughs> but I, I really do enjoy getting to sit and to talk with you, even if you don't always talk back, you know. So I, I hope that this is something where you look forward to in that way also. Like to say, okay, what is, what is God teaching us as a congregation through these passages this week? And so I, I hope that you caught the message of hope that was in that passage in Revelation. Where God himself, his dwelling, will be with his mortal people. And that he will wipe the tears from every eye. And that pain and suffering will, will be no more. There will be a new heaven and a new earth because the first things, the ones we're experiencing now and the pain we're experiencing now, that's, that's going to be old. There's something new. There's something better coming. And God will live with us and God will comfort us in person. It's not what I'm preaching about this morning. That was extra. Because when I was reading this week, I read through the passage in Acts, this whole narrative of Peter having gone out and he committed the, I'm going to use this metaphorically, not literally, he committed the sin, the transgression, the unthinkable <gasps> moment of having gone and he ate with people who were not circumcised. Oh my goodness. Shocker, right? Like what in the world was Peter thinking? Because, you know, I, I was trying to figure out like what in the world could we compare this to in the modern day that might actually shock people. And I'm thinking like, well, maybe, maybe it's as if I went to the bar for dinner every night and suddenly out of the corner of your eye, you see Pastor Kevin's truck parked in front of a different bar every night. And you're like, wow, that's, that's kind of shady. I wonder what's going on. You know, but like that didn't seem, I don't know, like that doesn't seem shocking enough maybe. Maybe you wouldn't blink at that. So I was trying to think like what in the world, how can we put this in context, understand what kind of a thing Peter's really suggesting here? Because when Peter was up on that rooftop and he fell into that trance and he had that vision and you've got this, this sheet coming down with all of the reptiles and the non-clean foods being lowered down, right? And he says, well, no, 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 God, I won't eat those animals. Let's take a moment there. You fall into a trance during your devotional time and God himself shows you dinner 
and says, here, here's dinner. And you say, no, God, that would be wrong. Like, that's how deep this stuff ran, right? Like, Peter's in the middle of a trance. Peter hears God himself say, this is your food. And Peter says, no, God, I think you've got it wrong. Those aren't the rules. Because eating kosher food and only kosher food was a big stinking deal, right? And so when God himself says, here, Peter, here's some non-kosher food. I need you to kill this and eat it for dinner for me. He said, no. He said no three times. Did you catch that? <laughs> and then like God says, no, 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 this, this, really, this is, this is dinner. You need to kill this and eat this. And Peter's like, no, didn't you hear me the first time, God? No. And a third time, God says, this is dinner. Take this and kill and eat. And Peter, apparently a third time, looks at God in his trance and says, no, that's against the rules, God. I won't do that. What kind of a deep-seated conviction must that be for Peter to have done that three times? You know, and he's not rebuked in this story whatsoever for having done that. I want to be clear. I, I don't think in this instance Peter had any wrong motives. I don't think he was wrong to refuse the food. I, I think it just illustrates how rooted in those traditions and in those laws of the Jewish people that Peter was. So that he, he was so convinced, he said no to God three times. But that was in preparation for what came next, because then the uncircumcised guys came to the house. And then they said, hey, we hear there's a guy named Peter here, and he's supposed to come with us. And he's supposed to teach us some stuff. And so that's when Peter says, oh, maybe that's what this vision was about. Yeah, let's go. I'll go with you. I wonder if maybe he would have said no to those men from Caesarea if he hadn't just had that vision. And God was just preparing him for saying, hey, there's this thing that normally you'd say no to. Normally this is against the rules. Normally this is something that you wouldn't be okay with. You'd run the other way. But I need you today. I need you to go eat with these guys who normally you're not allowed to eat with. You need to break the rules, because I have a job for you. And the Spirit, therefore, told Peter not, not only to go with them, but to not make a distinction between them and the Jews. The entire history of the Jewish people, from like Abraham covenant onward, is all built on the idea that we are the chosen people. We are the people that God has invited. We are the people who follow the rules. We are the people who eat the right food. We are the people who worship at the temple. We are the people who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are the people who eat all the right stuff and do all the right things and follow all the right laws. That is who we are. And then there's all the people who don't. <laughs> they need to be like us. It's the narrative of the Jewish people. And then the Spirit says, hey, I need you not to make a distinction between you and the Gentiles today. I need you to go eat dinner with them. I need you to go offer them the Spirit that I have offered you. I need you to stop drawing the line in the sand and stop paying quite so much attention to those rules. 
I was trying to think what in the world could be shocking enough? What, what could be a, a good analogy for how radically different this is? I'm thinking, okay, so maybe instead of going to church each week to worship, maybe God intends us to celebrate each week by standing on our heads in the safety of our own bedrooms and just keeping there for an hour or two each Sunday morning. I think that's what the Spirit's telling me. We need to change the whole church thing because we're not supposed to be in church. We're supposed to be standing in our heads in our bedrooms. Or maybe there's no more dressing up for church. Maybe you're not supposed to come to church dressed up anymore, which everyone goes, oh, yeah. But what if you were supposed to come naked instead? <laughs> see, see, I've got people who are like, no, 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 that's, that's not how I go. Because it, it just seems totally wrong. But after all, it's, it's biblical. It's in the garden, Adam and Eve. Yeah, I'm not going there. Or maybe we've been reading scripture wrong this whole time. Maybe instead of reading the words, maybe we're supposed to trust the reader to come up with an interpretive dance to properly convey the message of the passage. I don't know. I, I got lost down a rabbit hole. I was trying to come up with something that would be radical enough to be compared to the Jewish people suddenly deciding to go eat bacon, which is delicious. And I, I, I have a hard time. It, it cuts to their very identity. It changes who they thought they were because now for them to not draw a distinction between Jew and Gentile and to say the spirit of God comes to all people, all men and women equally, for them to be able to say that, they have to give up their privileged position. They have to give up being the chosen people and they have to say God has chosen all people. The spirit comes to all people. To give that up, that part of their identity and privilege, I, I, can't, I can't even really process what that would be like. And so they called Peter to task when they heard that he had done this. When he heard that he had crossed those lines and kind of blurred them all and invite everyone in. When they heard that Peter was no longer drawing those distinctions, like, we got to talk. Peter, you got to come back. We got we to work this out because you, you can't. You can't do that. I don't think you realize what you're changing here. And so they call him back, and that passage we read this morning was Peter giving account. It was him defending what God had asked him to do. And he says, guys, look, I saw a vision. And he was preparing me for that. He was preparing me to go with these guys. And so I, I told him, no, I did the right thing at first. I said no to God. I said, no, these are the laws. These are, I tried to do it our way. And the spirit told me, no, 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 that's, that's not how this is going to work. I need you to kill and eat. I need you to kill and eat. I need you to kill and eat. Okay, fine, I get it. You won't do that, but you're going to go with these guys. You're going to teach them about the spirit. You're going to share the power of God with them. You're going to teach them about how much I love them. You're going to do that, even if you won't eat the lizard, because I get that that's kind of weird. And so Peter comes back and he tells me, he's like, and not only did I go and not only did I eat dinner with them and not only did I tell them about how much God loves them because that's what God asked me to do. You guys don't understand. The Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles just the way it fell on us in the beginning. I can almost see Peter being like, guys, I, I wish you would have been there. The Holy Spirit fell on them just like it fell, he fell on us. And at that point, how, how can I stand in the way of what God 
has ordained. Who am I to say no to what God has asked me to do? I started out saying no. I started out saying, no, I'm going to eat kosher. I'm not going to kill and eat. And then I went with the guys. And then I saw what God was already doing without me. And I realized it is not my place to say no to that. It is my place to follow the Holy Spirit and to follow God the Father just the way you and I and 10 other guys followed the living Jesus Christ. We follow where God leads. And then the disciples, the council in Jerusalem that had called Peter back and were probably intending to call him to task and fix this weird thing that Peter had done, they heard what Peter said. They heard what this Holy Spirit was doing and they were silenced. He was right. What objection could we hold up? If the Holy Spirit is doing this, what objection can we possibly have to that? It goes against everything we are. It goes against everything we thought, against who we, we thought we were in Christ. It goes against how we thought the whole spiritual world was structured. We thought we were the center of everything. We thought it was about us. But it's not. It's about the Holy Spirit. Of course it is. It makes sense. We see that now. And they praised God, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles this repentance that leads to life. End scene. Because if God is giving repentance that leads to life to people, what can you do but praise God and say thank you? What in the world else are you going to do? Because if God wants to reach down and say, hey, things are broken, I'm going to go save these people. And I'm going to show you that I'm going to come save these people. And I'm going to give them this repentance that leads to life. They're going to have eternal life. Do you want to try and stand in my way or do you want to help? What can you do but be silenced? (laughs) And then praise God, saying this is the best thing that could have happened. People are receiving repentance that leads to life. How can I help? So I don't know about you, but having grown up in church, I got a lot of hang-ups about what church should be or how church should look or how people should look coming into church. (laughs) I love nothing more than the, the stories I hear from some of my pastor friends where somebody comes in and they just don't really look like they belong. And maybe they, they make it clear by when they stand or don't stand or talk or don't talk that they don't really understand how this whole church thing works. But then you talk to them and they make it so obvious they know exactly how the Spirit of God works. And at that point, all of your objections of, well, you might not be dressed the right way. You might be too loud at the wrong times and too quiet at the right times. And I don't even know what you're doing. You clearly don't fit into this whole church thing we got going on. You're a disruption. But if the Holy Spirit is with you, maybe we ought to be following you. (laughs) Let's throw open the doors. Let's erase the boundaries. Let's let's lower the barrier to entry for people to have to feel like they, they figured out when to stand and sit and sing and not sing or pray or not pray. And what what of that matters? What of our traditions matter? 
if the person is full of the Holy Spirit and they've been given the repentance that leads to life. Because we've got this danger, right? There's this thing that gets credited to Wesley that Wesley actually never actually said, but he, he talked about it in a way that we kind of figured out that's what he meant. He said there was this, this, these four things that were important. They call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So John Wesley, Anglican priest, kind of started the whole Methodist movement back in the 18th century. Kind of a crazy guy. His life story involves like him coming to Georgia and getting kicked out of Georgia in America because he refused to give a girl communion because she wouldn't go out with him. And then she and her dad got mad, and so he came back to England and was part of a club, literally called the Holy Rollers Club for a while. <laughs> like, and then at one point, he just kind of, something clicks for him. And instead of talking about the rules and talking about how things should be or who should or shouldn't get communion, he starts talking about the love of God and how we're transformed in sanctification and how can we know the mind of God. He talks about scripture being a huge way that we can know the mind of God. That's why we read scripture so much. Talking about tradition, though the way we've done it can be a pathway to finding God. If you don't know where to start, figure out what other people have been doing and then go do that. It's tradition. Sometimes it's the best path forward. Use your brain. <laughs> Read scripture and then think about it. Use your reason. Try and figure out, like, what is God saying here? That can lead you to God. An experience. What have you felt? What have you seen? What have you touched that you think leads you to understand who God is and what he wants. And the danger is emphasizing any one of those and ignoring the rest of them. We've all been to churches maybe that read lots of Bible but don't talk about tradition or experience or reason ever. It's just, well, here's the book, deal with it. Maybe churches that rely exclusively on tradition but never talk about what it means or never reference the Bible. It's just, well, that's just all the way it's been done. Maybe people who just think about it so much that they're no good to anyone. <laughs> they don't actually do anything. They just sit there and think and think and think in circles. Maybe the people who say, well, if I haven't experienced it, I don't trust it. It has to be said to me personally because I don't trust you. There's dangers in any one of those four, but if we kind of pull them all together and say, I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to see what other people have been doing. I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to see what God is saying to me personally. I'm going to look with my eyes and touch and taste and see that the Lord is good. We can see where God is at, and we can chase him down, and we can help with whatever he is doing and whatever forgiveness and healing he's bringing to the world. We could be a part of that. That's what we're called to do. That doesn't always fit in the hour that we have every Sunday morning. It's because your Christian life was never intended to fit in an hour on Sunday morning. It's bigger and wider and deeper and truer than that. Sunday morning is better at building the walls and excluding and saying, well, this is the good people. We are the chosen people, and those are the sinners out there we need to go fix. That's what church tends to be good at if we aren't careful. But this story from Acts tells me that if we really want to follow God, the Holy Spirit is at work not only in us, 
The Holy Spirit is at work in people who don't go to church because the Holy Spirit is what draws all people to God, not just us. So I want to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in my coworkers who don't go to church because the Holy Spirit's at work in them. When my kids get older and they go to school, I want to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in my kids' friends because I guarantee you the Holy Spirit is talking to five-year-olds. I want the eyes that only God can give me where I can walk around and see the Holy Spirit at work in all people and say, how can I help that to happen more? How can I help this person to be aware of how much God loves them and how much God is working in their life? How can I help this person to be aware of this repentance that is freely offered that leads to life? I think the best thing we can do on church on Sunday morning, the best use of our time together, is celebrating the sacrament of communion together. It was about 14 months ago we started doing it every week, and we didn't do it with fanfare because, well, Melanie and I just wanted to start doing it every week, and we just didn't tell anyone, so we just did it. Thank you for adapting to that and joining with us in this, because I think what this does is this is what binds us together. This is the best that church has to offer because we acknowledge that we have fallen short. We need help. We need to be changed. We need a new measure of grace this morning. And so we come to the table that reminds us of God who came and suffered and died and gave of himself that we might live. This table is the repentance that leads to life and it's open to everyone.